Jesus asks that you would speak to us through that scripture and help us to be more your people when we leave and focused on you when we leave. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, because we have so many moving pieces and doing interlocking services and all that, we have these little sheets that plan everything out, who's doing what, our AV people and all that, kind of down to the minute. And right here at 9.52, have a power outage. So right, <laughs> to make it look like we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. So sometimes you just have to do this with the service. So um, that's what happens when packaged, prepared Presbyterians have to go with the Spirit. Um, it's probably good for us once in a while. Um, welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, some of you may have seen in the news recently that Bob Dylan won this year's Nobel Prize for Literature. Now, for those of you too young to know who Bob Dylan is, he was a singer in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. But he, he told the Nobel Prize people that he would not be coming to the award ceremony because he had, quote, other commitments that day. Like what? Right? Like, I'm sorry, I can't come get my Nobel Prize. I have hot yoga that day. Like, who says that? Bob Dylan says that. Because Bob Dylan has always just kind of marched to his own drummer, not anyone else's. And it's a little like that with God. And yes, I did just compare God to Bob Dylan. So it's an analogy, not precise theology. God is frustratingly, infuriatingly, free to do things his way, not ours. Does that ever bother you? <laughs> do you ever get frustrated that God's not doing what you want him to do, not answering the prayer the way you want it answered? One time I was leading in our services here, the, Lord, the Lord's Prayer, and when we got to the line, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, I accidentally said my will be done. Okay, not great for a pastor to say. What's worse is none of you noticed. <laughs> You're all like, yeah, sounds about right to me. Yeah. And if I'm honest, not all of my prayers, but some of my prayers kind of come down to that. God, do this. God, do that. Heal me, fix me, bless me, give me, please. And those are okay prayers. Those prayers are good prayers to pray as long as we remember that God is free to do things his way, not ours. And that is good news. Because what that means is some very good things for us. And that's what we see in the story of Jonah, which we've been talking about this month. Just to recap, God tells Jonah to go preach to the city of Nineveh, capital of Assyria, which posed a military threat to Israel. They committed genocide. They tortured people, very violent people. So Jonah wants them destroyed, not forgiven. So he runs away, gets swallowed by a fish, spit out on land, finally goes to Nineveh, preaches, they turn to God, they stop their violence, and God forgives them. Okay, that's a good day at the office, right? He could have gone home to Mrs. Jonah, and she would have said, you know, how was your day, dear? And he could have said, you know, got swallowed by a fish, transformed a city, usual stuff. You know, what's for dinner? I mean, you expect the next verse to say, so Jonah went home rejoicing. But that's not what it says. Instead, it says, but this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, you big jerk. <laughs> then Jonah went out and sat down east of the city and waited to see what would happen to it. He's still hoping God's going to blast him. And he wants to see it happen. 
But instead, what he discovers is that God is free of our agendas and expectations of how he should act. Jonah's agenda is that God destroy Nineveh. Understandable, very violent people. But God is not bound by our agendas, our prejudices, our plans. Now, God doesn't approve of the Ninevites' violence. Of course not. But he does want to forgive and transform them. To which Jonah says, take my life. It's better for me to die than to live. In other words, I would rather die than live in a universe run by a compassionate God. Are there times in your life where God's agenda for you is different than your agenda for God? Where God wants you to cooperate with him, but you want God to cooperate with you in getting your goals met, your, whatever it is you want done, done. Well, the next thing that happens is that God causes a plant to grow that gives Jonah shade. And the text says, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But then it dies, and Jonah gets mad and says, it would be better for me to die than to live. Second time he says that. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. What, are we like three years old? <laughs> like, what is this? He cannot believe, he cannot fathom that God just might, just might, just might know what he's doing. In my first job right out of college, I was an intern in a youth ministry uh, in Seattle, and the group met twice a week, Sunday night and Tuesday night. I was put in charge of the Sunday night group. The problem was it was shrinking and getting smaller and smaller, and so the leadership team and I, we prayed about it, asked God to revive it, came up with all kinds of gimmicks, food, ice cream, get people to come. Nothing worked. My boss kept saying, fix it, fix it, fix it. Nothing worked, right? Uh, this went on for a year. I felt like a total failure as an intern. God was not doing what I wanted him to do. Finally, I got the idea that maybe God was trying to do something bigger than just irritate me. And so instead of praying, Lord, do this, fix this, I started to pray, Lord, what are you doing here? Help me to see it so I can be part of it. Well, as we prayed that prayer, it became clear to us that there was probably some good reasons that God would actually want to kill that Sunday night group because it was dividing the ministry along racial lines. Tuesday night was mostly white students, and Sunday night was mostly people of color. Well, that's not of God. So suddenly, it felt like God was talking. God wanted to shut down Sunday night so that everyone would go on Tuesday and be a unified, diverse community. So we ended the Sunday night, Sunday night group, and I got to put on my resume, killed a ministry. <laughs> awesome in job interviews, right? God's freedom not to give me what I wanted helped me grow spiritually, taught me to pray the prayer, what are you doing here? Help me see it so I can get on board, a better prayer. And it resulted in a better ministry. God, it turned out, knew what he was doing. It's like the old saying, the difference between you and God is that God never gets confused and thinks he's you. <laughs> the position of God has been filled. You do not need to apply. A friend of mine tells a story about a friend of his who looked out his window one day and saw that his next-door neighbor had backed a pickup truck up to his house. And the neighbor was standing in his doorway of his house trying to move this big refrigerator. So this man went over to help. And they both pushed and pulled and twisted, but the thing just wouldn't budge, right? So they pushed and pulled some more. Finally, they're both out of breath. They were sweating. And the man said, I don't think we're ever going to get this thing into your house. And the neighbor said, into the house, I'm trying to get it out into the truck. 
If you find yourself pushing and pulling against God's agenda, maybe stop and ask him, which way are you taking this thing, God? What are you trying to do here so I can get on board? God is free from our agendas. Second thing, he's free to surprise us. In fact, in the original language, the book of Jonah begins and ends in a very surprising way. It begins with the word and, a conjunction. It's kind of unusual because God is a God of and more than a God of either or. See, Jonah's got this either or thing going. Either God loves Israel or he loves Nineveh. No, no, no. God loves Israel and Nineveh. If you're stuck on something, sometimes it's because we got an either or thing going on in our head and God is a God of and. So it starts with a conjunction, that's surprising, and then the book of Jonah ends with a question. God says to Jonah, should I not have concern for that great city, Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Like, it kind of doesn't even make sense, right? It's just this bizarre question at the very end. That's how it ends, kind of unfulfilling and unsatisfying, right? The narrative arc wasn't complete. Starts with and, ends with a question. It's almost as if God is saying, I'm going to tell this story in a surprising way because I am free to surprise you. Now, that doesn't mean that God is capricious or inconsistent. God is consistent with his nature, but there's the rub. He's consistent with his nature, which is sometimes inconsistent with our desires and expectations. He is free to surprise us, but we don't often like surprises. Surprises can be kind of uncomfortable or bad. It's like a story, a true story about a church my friend tells that, that had they'd been given a used organ that had been restored. So the first Sunday that they had it, they hired a professional organist to play it. And before she hit the first note, the pastor explained the situation, nodded her direction and said, let's see what the old gal can do. Right? And then he had to say, oh, oh, I meant the organ, not the organist, right? Everyone's kind of awkward. But what was really surprising was when she played, dramatically played the first chord, no sound because someone hadn't plugged it in. Surprises can be uncomfortable, weird, out of the ordinary, things we don't like, but surprises can also be really good. Like here, God surprises Jonah, but what he's doing is he's expanding Jonah's theology. Jonah's buying into the nationalism and the racism of his culture that said only God only loves Israel, right? And God doesn't like everyone else, but, 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 but. The book of Jonah is written precisely to counteract that nationalist, racist narrative and remind the Israelites that God called them to show God's love to the entire world. Now, that surprises Jonah, but it shouldn't have because it's all over Scripture. God expands Jonah's theology. God surprises us. And you know why this is good? Because it shows that we did not invent God. God is not a figment of our imagination, right? Because a God who acts contrary to our desires and expectations cannot, by definition, be a God that we invented, right? Like made-up gods always do and say what we want them to, right? In fact, one of the ways you know you're following a made-up God is he's mad at all the same people you are. But a real God, a real God is going to surprise us, challenge us, even irritate us a little bit. God is free from our agendas, free to surprise us. Third, God is free to use whoever he wants to accomplish his work. Maybe the most surprising thing in this book is that God chooses Jonah. Like, why? He's got a bad attitude. He lacks faith. He's ego-driven, pouty, immature, angry. You know, other than that, awesome choice, God. But God chooses him anyway because God chooses people that sometimes we don't think have anything to offer. 
back in the 90s in Seattle, this was in the news, uh, there was a middle school teacher named Jeff Leland. And his baby got cancer and needed a bone marrow transplant. And his sister, their daughter, was a match, but the insurance company wouldn't pay for it until Jeff had been on his job for a year, and he'd only been there a couple of months, and the cost was $200,000. Well, a seventh-grade boy named Damien, who had health issues of his own, walked with a limp, a lot of kids made fun of him for that. Damien heard about this, went to Jeff's house, Jeff was one of his favorite teachers, handed him 12 $5 bills, his entire life savings, and said, Mr. Leland, this is for your baby. Well, word got out about Damien's gift, and so some other middle schoolers got together. They organized a walkathon, a car wash. Some middle schoolers contacted the press. It got on the TV news. People started sending in money. Within four weeks, there was enough money to pay for the transplant, and the baby lived. In the process, Damien got real close to Jeff and his family. They were Christians. Damien ended up becoming a Christian in the process through this whole thing as well. Now, our culture would say Damien was kind of an unlikely hero. He's only in seventh grade. Our culture would say that's too young. He was the kid that everyone teased. But he gave everything he had, right? He gave everything he had, and that launched a wave of compassion that saved a baby's life, showing that teenagers, teenagers are not just these little pre-adults waiting around for something to happen. They are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today and do really cool things. God uses all of us, every age, every race, every economic level. That's why we've been doing this art project for the last month, where we asked you to write on cardboard discs where you feel God calling you to bring healing. And thousands of you did this, including our children. Everything from bring racial healing in my office to help kids in my school feel safe. <clears throat> and last week I gave you your homework. And this is your homework for this week as well. Those discs are out there on a sculpture that some people in our church have made. As you leave, take a disc, maybe take two or three, and between now and Christmas, pray for the person on that disc and the ways that they want to bring healing, as well as do whatever it is you wrote down on your disc, knowing that someone is praying for you. And as we've posted some of these on Instagram, we've had a lot of comments, including multiple people who do not go to church at all, saying, oh man, this is just a breath of fresh air to think of that there are thousands of people out there bringing healing. God is free from our agendas, free to surprise us, free to use whoever he wants to. And then finally, and maybe the most surprising thing about God, but the most important thing, God is free to show scandalous prodigal love to people who do not deserve it. When God asks, shouldn't I have concern for Nineveh, the Hebrew word for concern means grief, like when someone dies. God's heart is broken, even for the Ninevites, but also for Jonah. See, God gives Jonah exactly what Jonah does not want God to give the Ninevites, grace. And God says to Jonah, Jonah, I love the Ninevites in spite of their violence, just like I love you in spite of your arrogance and your judgmentalism. And there's no conclusion to the story. As I said, it just kind of ends with this question. And there's no conclusion. We don't know what Jonah answers. Because Jonah's still in process, and God is still working on him, just like he's working on you and me. So the question just kind of hangs there at the end of the book, as if to say to us, and you, what about you, reader? What about you? Will you accept and extend God's prodigal love for yourself and others? And what all of this points to, 
is Jesus. The reason we picked this for Christmas, it all, the entire book, points to Jesus. God weeps over Nineveh the way Jesus, centuries later, weeps over Jerusalem. Right? In chapter 1, Jonah falls asleep in a boat during a storm, just like Jesus falls asleep in a boat during a storm with his disciples. Jonah is in the fish three days. Jesus is in the grave three days, and then he rises from the dead. Jonah was sent to bring God's love to Nineveh, just like Jesus was sent at Christmas to bring God's love and grace to people who do not deserve it, have not earned it, but get it anyway. And it's not that God just kind of overlooks the Ninevites' violence. No, that wouldn't be just. A price is paid. There is punishment. It's just that Jesus pays the price for all of our sins on the cross. Scandalous, promiscuous, prodigal love. And that's what Christmas, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Right? Like, that's, that's the message of Christmas. And we see a surprising God so clearly at Christmas. Because, I mean, you got to say this. When God decided to come, he came in the most surprising, unpredictable way possible. Right? Like, I mean, if you had hired a consultant and said, okay, 2,000 years from now, I want billions of people to center their lives around me, so consultant, give me a strategic plan for that, they would not have come up with Christmas. Right? They, they would not say, well, first you need to be born in a stable, in a town no one's heard of, surrounded by manure, because that's always good, and, and it will make sure to get executed as a criminal in disgrace. That should do it. That'll make you the most influential person in history. We never would have thought this up. But God is free to do things that we don't think up. I'll close with this. A couple years ago, I met a pastor named Stephen, and he's from England. And when he was in college to pay the bills, he had a job setting up chairs at various university events. Well, one day he was setting up chairs, and he decided to take a break. And he sat down, and a man sat down next to him and started asking all of these questions, right? And, and every answer Stephen gave, the man was just super excited. So the man said, where are you from? And Stephen said, Luton, which is like basically the armpit of England, right? And the man said, Luton, how wonderful, that's awesome. What do you study? Stephen said, law. Law, that's so exciting, that's so awesome, right? At one point he asked Stephen, do you like Jesus? Stephen wasn't a Christian, so he said, ah, he's all right, I guess. Question after question after question. Stephen only managed to get one question out, where are you from? Because the guy had an accent. And he said, Kenya. Well, after about 15, 10, 15 minutes of this, someone came up to this man and said, Archbishop, I've been looking for you. <laughs> Turns out he's the Archbishop of Kenya and a significant leader in Africa. And the man said, Archbishop, we have a place for you up here at the high table. And the Archbishop said, no, I'm quite happy here talking with my friend Stephen. You should talk to him. He's from Luton. <laughs> and the man said, Archbishop, please, you're supposed to be sitting at the high table next to the Chancellor of Oxford. And the Archbishop said, no, I want to talk to my friend Stephen. And then the guy looked at Stephen as though it was his fault, right? And Stephen's like, I'm just here to set up chairs. <laughs> and the Archbishop said, but I want to talk to you. Is that okay? And spent the rest of the lunch talking to Stephen, which made Stephen feel valued and loved and affirmed, got him interested in this Jesus guy. He eventually became a Christian, which helped him quit a bad habit around alcohol. He then became a lawyer who helped people who were experiencing justice, and he eventually became a pastor. Now, it's not surprising that God would use an archbishop to change someone's life, but in our world, it is surprising that someone of such high stature would blow off the chancellor of Oxford to talk to the college guy setting up the chairs. But the archbishop knew that God works in surprising, unpredictable ways that we would not work through. 
And Stephen thought that he was there to set up chairs. No, 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 no. Stephen had an appointment with his future. And who would have thought that God could change a person's life simply by having them set up chairs? It's surprising. Not what we would plan. And it's also Christmas. Because, see, Jesus wasn't just an archbishop. He was God. And he left the mother of all high tables, heaven, to be with us in our everyday, going to school, work, setting up chairs, lives, and to work through us to make all things new. It is surprising. No other God in any other philosophy or religion does this sort of thing. So where is God not meeting your expectations? And can you pray, Lord, show me what you're doing here so that I can get on board. Let him surprise you with his scandalous, prodigal love and then send you to bring healing in your school, workplace, neighborhood, whatever it is you wrote down on those cards. Because God is free to surprise and amaze us by doing in us and through us and around us beyond all we could ask or imagine. Free to love the unlovable, choose the unchoosable, use unlikely people to do amazing things. God's freedom may frustrate us from time to time because it means we cannot predict or control him, but his freedom is also the greatest sign of his love for us. Because you see, when he did not have to, when he was free to do otherwise, when it was inconvenient and inefficient and unadvisable to do so, God in his infinite freedom freely chose you and he freely chose me to freely die for us, to free us from the bondage of our sin so that we could live for him. I cannot think of a bigger vote of confidence from God in us than that. So where is your Nineveh? How is God calling you to be an unlikely hero there? So Jesus, thank you for your love, outrageous love, love that we can't control or predict, love that loves people we would choose not to love. And Jesus, thank you that you do not do what we can predict. Thank you that you surprise us. And God, we ask that you would help us to see in every situation what you are doing so that we can be on board with you. We ask this in your name. Amen.